Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we're in Psalms chapter 9. Um, let's pray before we get started and as everybody slowly wanders back into the room. Uh, Father, we just lift you up as we get started. We thank you that uh, you are king of the universe and you are in charge of everything in the midst of the chaos that we've seen in the last little bit. And we just lift you up as we come before you to just hear your word. Um, and we praise you as we start. In Jesus' name, amen. Take the mask off so we don't have double glare. <laughs> All right. Psalms chapter 9 is actually, uh, most of you have 9 and 10 in your Bible. But originally in the, the Greek and the Latin, uh, the Greek Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate, it's one chapter. So 9 and 10 uh, are actually put together as as one manuscript. We're not going to cover both of them today, and we're not even going to cover half of the first one. Actually, we'll, we'll probably cover half the first one. I decided I'd split it up a little bit. Um, but one of the ways we know that the two are tied together, I want to give you a little background. These two verse, two chapters, well, here we go. Psalm 50 is not Psalm 9. <laughs> okay, these two chapters are actually a um, an acrostic. So every other uh, verse starts with a new Hebrew alphabet letter, okay? Except for the fourth letter, which is skipped, um, and then there's this transition at the fourth letter where it moves from like this present active to a future declarative. Um, and so you'll, you'll see that as we go through it. And then at chapter 10, it transitions into this exposition about the wicked heart and, and how their attitude is towards God. And it leaves the acrostic. And at the end of 10, it comes back to the acrostic in the last four letters. So it's kind of an interesting uh, uh, set of uh, chapters. Um, if you are reading it in Hebrew, which we are not. So you missed that <laughs> because none of us speak Hebrew for the most part. Um, so I just wanted to give you that information that that's kind of the, it's a poetic thing going on that, that you're not necessarily going to see uh, because you speak a different language. Um, anyway, so the first beginning says, this is for the choir director on the, Mithlaben, uh, a Psalm of David. Um, this uh, subscript, uh, Mithlaben, actually means the death of a son, and there's a lot of debate on what that's referring to. So, uh, you know, you'll listen to one one uh, historian that says, "Well, we think this is related to the death of Goliath," and then another one says, "No, this is related to the death of of." Uh, the firstborn in Egypt, and no, this is the other side. It's it's the the male children in Egypt, and 
it's the death of Absalom. And, you know, so there's all these different theories about who the son is that's dying. Um, I don't know. And obviously lots of people have, have pushed it forward to Jesus and they're saying, oh, this is something prophetic. I, that's kind of secondary. We don't really know. But we do know that because of that subscript, it has kind of a an undertone of of a death. In one example, it's a death of people that we wanted to die. <laughs> so there's a celebration thing. On the other side, it's the death of somebody we didn't want to die. And so there's a grieving thing. So you, if as you read through the thing, you'll see both sides of that. There's the wicked, and then there's the righteous, and you see both sides of that characteristic in the in the the two chapters together. So you'll see in the section we're going to go through that this is about the faith of the righteous and God's finished work. Uh, after that, it's going to go on to a, um, a prayer for, for those of righteous who are suffering. And then in chapter 10, it starts out with this attitude of the boastful, prideful heart of the wicked. And then it comes back to the prayer of the faithful. So that's an overview of the two chapters together. So let's just delve into it. And we'll get started in verse one. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I'll be glad and exalt in you. I'll sing praises to your name, O most high God. Now, David starts with four points. He says, I am committing myself to thanksgiving, to proclaiming the wonders of God, to being glad in you, and finally, praising God. And I think this is really important that, that he points out that these are things that he is going to do in the future. The reality is, for all of us, we can't change our attitudes that we've had in the past. But we can commit our attitudes and our thoughts in the future. And that's what David's saying. I'm going to make a resolution at this point to commit to a heart of thanksgiving, to commit to proclaiming who God is to the community around me, to being in your presence and, and rejoicing that I have that opportunity. And finally, just praising you in all that I do. And I think all of us can relate to that. That's where we all need to be, and we all need to make that decision to commit to this attitude. And so that's where he starts. Ephesians kind of follows up with, with almost the same attitude. If you go to uh, 5.18, it says we're to be filled with the Spirit. Well, you got verse 2 there. It said, I will be glad and exalt in you. I'm in you. I'm filled with the Spirit. And that's why I'm celebrating, right? Uh, it, back to Ephesians. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in my heart to the Lord. What are we going to do? We're going to be 
thankful we're going to tell of his wonders? Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, my God and Father. What was the beginning of, of the point? He's going to give thanks with all my heart. And so we see that all through the New Testament, the same commitment and the same change in our attitude that we're going to make a commitment to to focus on celebration. Uh, Spurgeon says this is the endless employment of enjoyment. And that's what your Christian life should be. That is your job, to enjoy the Lord. That's what he wants for us. And to enjoy life and all that he's given us and to be thankful for it. It's real hard to complain and not enjoy things when you're being thankful for them. But when you're not thankful, then it's real easy to be frustrated and complain and, and be overwhelmed. So he starts with this attitude. I'm going to choose to find things to celebrate and be thankful for. And as a result, when we have that attitude and we, when we have those, that, that predetermined focus, it leads other people in that same celebration. And that's what we want to be. We want to be the example to the world around us. That there is a hope. That there is reason to be glad. Verse 3. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. You've sat on the throne judging rightly. You'll notice that they've already turned away. When do they stumble and perish? When they turn from this attitude. When they turn from being thankful. When they turn from celebrating and, and proclaiming God. And being the image of God. What are we created to be? We're image bearers of God. We're going to be separate from all the rest of the creation. And he says, when we turn from that, we stumble. And that stumbling causes us to perish. And it's not before David that he perishes. It's before God. And David quickly makes that point. My enemies, they turn around and they're running from, from what I'm trying to give them what I'm trying to share with them, and, and that's the way people are. When we share the gospel, there are lots of people who are just running from it, rejecting it. And they've turned, and, and that turning is causing them to stumble. It's interesting, these two words, stumble and perish, have, have some interesting nuance. They stumble, this is their falling, and or they're destroyed. So the idea is my enemies turn back and ultimately they'll either fall before God or they'll perish before God. And that's just the reality of, of the way we respond to God. 
you can fall before him in humility and be broken and allow him to change you. Or you will perish before him because he is a just God and he maintains a just cause. He is sat on the throne judging righteously. And David holds that before him as a constant, that God is righteous. Even though it doesn't seem like there's righteousness around us and seems like God's silent at times. But he lives in this hope that an understanding of who God is. He is on the throne. And he's patient, but he is a righteous, just God. Verse 3, you have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked, for you have blotted out their name forever. I love this because he makes a point of saying that God first starts with rebuke. He doesn't just judge. He doesn't just, you know, destroy everything. He starts by saying, hey, you need to change And he gives an opportunity for that transformation in our lives. And for the whole world, the nations, to change. He doesn't just destroy them. He sends a warning. But he does destroy the wicked. Interesting, Daniel uh, 2.21 says, It's he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and he establishes kings. Romans kind of repeats the same idea in chapter 13. The powers that are, or all the powers that be are ordained by God. You know, we're worried about world leaders and all these governments and what's going on in the nations. But the scripture is very clear that God's in control of that. He sets them up and he takes them down. As rulers fail to do their job, they are rightly rebuked. And God is rebuking evil in this world. And if they continue in that attitude, in that rebellion against him, he will destroy them. Interesting, in Daniel... We see this council that comes together and God, God's standing there and he says, hey, it's time to rebuke. You know, how should we do this? And he invites the council to participate. And the reality is, is that's what, what our country is set up to mimic. Because we're all imagers of God. What does God do? He sets up and he takes down. And we have a nation that is established to reflect that we are imagers of God. And so as it's that time for us to take part in setting up and taking down rulers. So when you have the opportunity to do that, you have a chance to take on the image of God And go and judge righteously when you go to the polls. When you go to vote, it is your responsibility to do it 
as a reflection of God's attitude. So I just challenge you here in just a few days, it feels like. That's your responsibility and your opportunity to be imagers of God. Hebrews says the wicked are, well, here in this verse, he says the wicked are destroyed because they refuse to listen to the rebuke. Interestingly, uh, Hebrews comes back and quotes the, the, the verse in Psalm 95 and says, if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. What's the rebuke? To have a right attitude. To give thanks to the Lord for what you do have. To celebrate. Be glad in him, to abide in him, and to reflect his image to the world. The enemy, verse 6, has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. Interesting, um, in 5 and 6, the you is questionable because in 7... We have the Lord, but the Lord, right? So who is you? You've rebuked the nations. You've destroyed the wicked. You've blotted out their name forever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins. You've uprooted cities. The very memory of them has perished. Who's the you? If the Lord is in the next verse. Okay. That's one theory. One theory is that it's God. One theory is that it's the enemy. And we go into Isaiah. Um, you is uh, the understanding that these wicked nations in David's time have gone in and they've just devastated all kinds of people in pride. And he says, you've rebuked, you've, de you've destroyed all these, all these nations out of pride. And, and they cease to be, but the Lord abides forever. Now, the other idea is it's God. And the reality, if we look at these two verses that we have in Romans and Daniel, clearly God does that. But he's using wicked nations to do it often. He allows Babylon to come in and devastate Israel. He allowed Rome to come in and just wipe people out and just completely remove those people groups from existence. And yet God comes and he will judge those who think that they're greater than everything. And so when we see governments rise up trying to devastate other people we know that, that God has a reason for it. And he's allowing that. But ultimately, those governments will fall. And God will bring their destruction. They will end in perpetual ruins. Even though they think, hey, we, we are conquering and we've done all this stuff. And the reality is God's in the background 
allowing that to happen and actually putting people in charge to make it happen. And it gives us pause to consider what is going on in the world today. There are nations that are here that may in the future just be wiped out in perpetual ruins. And who knows, maybe our nation will be one of them. But we know that God's in control. And that is okay if it is God's plan to do that. And that's hard to say, and we don't want to think in those terms. But we want to be on God's side as opposed to on our own side. We want to know that we can trust God. And he will do what he's going to do, despite what we think or what we believe it's going to happen. Verse 7, but the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. God is the standard, the only constant. Even though everything is destroyed, his rule reigns and will not end. And the purpose of him establishing his kingdom is to judge, to establish order. Verse 8, he'll judge the world in righteousness and will execute judgments for the peoples with equity. Now, here's where this transition comes. We had, he's done all these things. He's already there's an, uh, he already abides. He has established his throne. He will judge the world righteously. There is a future looking that we live in hope of the fulfillment of the righteous judge returning and judging rightly. He will execute judgment for the people with equity. God is a fair judge. He's patient, but there is a justice coming. And there is a rebuke that we need to respond to today. So as we respond to that rebuke, when he does come, he judges righteously and he offers grace and mercy. Verse 9, the Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Proverbs 18 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. What is the name? Jehovah Mishkabah. 
the Lord my stronghold. You know, to know the name of something reveals its character. And that's what he's saying. I want to proclaim to you that God is the means to peace. He is the stronghold that we can go to in the midst of the chaos of the world. He is the place we abide in during troubled times. It's not that he takes us out of the troubled times. You know, when you have a stronghold, you go into it during the struggle. Why the battle is raging, you're in the midst of the stronghold. You may be shooting from the tower at the stronghold, but you're in it. You're encapsulated by these walls of protection. Yet the battle rages on. And as its struggle continues, we abide in him. And he guards us. Interesting, this this word, uh, those who know your name, uh, is the word yada. You ever heard that whole, uh, was it Seinfeld episode, yada, yada, yada? Well, the whole idea is, I know, I know, I know. I, I understand. But the idea of that word is not just flippant. It's, I know so well that I don't need to be told. I already understand. Those who know the Lord, the name of the Lord, will put their trust in him. That is, they're unconcerned. So, in other words, I know who God is, so I have no concerns anymore. I am at peace no matter what happens. I am resting in the stronghold. Despite the chaos around me, despite the the world at odds, I have entered into his rest. And the rest of it can just fade away. That's what it is to know the Lord. The rest of it just fades away. We trust the character of the Lord because we know his name, which reveals his character. Daniel 11:32 says the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Not only have they come into the the stronghold, but they're now coming in to be equipped. The end of Ephesians, what are we supposed to do? Put on the full armor of God so that we can resist, so that we can come out of our little bubble and engage in the battle. Take our stand. Interesting, this idea of troubled times is only used here and then in in chapter 10 in the first verse. 
Uh, but a similar phrase goes on to Psalm 49. Um, let me just turn there just for the fun of it. Psalm 49, uh, since we're already in Psalm, theoretically, right? 49, I still have a bookmark there. Verse 5, why should I fear in days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surround me? For those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches, no man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly. And he should cease trying forever, that he should live in eternity, that he should not undergo decay. What are we going to cease trying? We don't save anybody. It's God who does that. And so we cease trying. We cease the work of, of trying to work our way to heaven. The ransom is costly. It was Christ's life. And we need to understand that that work is finished. He has finished the work, and so we don't have to struggle anymore. He is doing a work in you, and it's him who is doing the work, not you. And so we can rest in that in his stronghold, at peace. If you move down uh, to verse 13, uh, actually, uh, verse 10 and then 13, for he sees that even uh, wise men die, the stupid, the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. And he goes on to talk about that. Verse 13, this is the way of those who are foolish, and of those after them who approve their words, as sheep they are appointed for Sheol, death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be for Sheol to consume, so that they have no habitation, but God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. For he will receive me. Don't be afraid when men become rich. When the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he carries away nothing. He will not descend. The, his glory will not descend after him. Verse 20, men in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. There's a destruction coming. And if we live in this pride, like stupid, senseless people, we will perish. If we trust in the Lord, enter into his stronghold, he will receive us and offer grace and mercy.
Matthew 6, 33. It says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. All these things. will be added to you. What things? The whole kingdom. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. What's our need? Our need is not to struggle with all these things. It's to seek him. Acts 17, 26 says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth and to have dominion, or, and having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God. What's the point of you living today in this time, in this place? God appointed you to be in America, in West Virginia, under the government that you are under, so that you would seek his face now. And everyone is in the time he ordained for them to be in and in the place he ordained you to be in and in the situation he established for you to be in that you might seek him. That's an encouragement in the midst of all that we see around us. Oh, I wish it was like the old days when it was easy. I wish, you know, we could... You know, ride horse and buggy again. No, I, I, whatever. This is your time. And God ordained you for this time to seek him. Colossians goes on to say, if you've been risen up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. This is a perpetual attitude that we're going to continue in. We're going to seek God. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Don't tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And in that trust, as we seek him, as we abide in his stronghold, we come to verse 11. Sing praise to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the people his deeds. For he who requires blood remembers them. Who's he going to remember? He's going to remember those who he's ex executing the judgment for. Those who are in need in troubled times, the oppressed, the downtrodden, 
those who have entered into his stronghold. He doesn't forget the cry of the afflicted. Yet they're always before him, it says, in another area. I think it's interesting that he comes back to the same thought. Sing praises to the Lord. He tells others to do exactly the same thing he did at the beginning. I will sing praise to your name. Verse 11, you sing praise to the Lord. Declare among the people. What are we going to do? We're going to tell of your wonders. Why? Because he's doing a work that we can be thankful for. He's in charge. And we can celebrate in that. He remembers our affliction. And he doesn't forget our cry. I will be glad and exult in you. I challenge you today. Come into his presence. Give thanks. Tell the people around you what he's done in your life. What he's doing presently in the world. Sing praise. Abide in him. Be glad. What does it say? The, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom today? I pray that all of you enter his kingdom with joy and rejoicing. Now, in this hour, and as you leave, you abide in that stronghold. Father, we just lift you up. And thank you that you are a strong tower. You are a mighty God. And the righteous run into you and are protected and at peace. Lord, we come into your presence today. And thank you for all you've done. And we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.